is a time where there is a lot of celebration, but there's mixed emotions, right? Because there can be a little bit of intimidation. For any of you that have graduated from high school before, you know what it's like to think about the next step, right? In one sense, you're very excited about it, but in another sense, it's like, hey, I'm about to move into a new environment. I'm leaving my folks. I'm leaving the friend group that I know. I've got to forge new friendships. And it can be a little intimidating, And perhaps nothing is more intimidating than the question of who's going to be my roommate, right? I mean, who is this another human being that I've never lived with before that I'm about to commit nine months of my life to being all in their personal space? They're going to be all in my personal space. The roommate question. When I went uh, to my freshman year of college, uh, my roommate didn't show up. I showed up there and he was randomly selected. I walked in the front door expecting to meet this guy and he wasn't there, didn't show up for orientation, never showed up for freshman year of school. So I thought, cool, I get my own room freshman year of college. Until about a week later, some fool down the hallway tore up a a fire sprinkler and flooded the entire dorm hall right down there. And so a lot of guys got displaced. Well, we couldn't go back on our dorm hall for a couple of days. I left town. I came back. And when I came back to my dorm room, what I thought was just my dorm room, I opened the door and there's just wet black clothing everywhere, everywhere. And it's no gray and there's no color. It's all black. All of the clothing is black. And in the middle of the room is a large wooden skull. Just a large wooden skull about the size of a small coffee table. So I'm like, well, this, this is different. So I went and found my RA and I said, hey, um, Brad, listen, I just noticed when I walked in my room, there's a lot of uh, wet black clothing and I don't know, some seem like satanic symbols. I don't know, but I just need to know what is all of that about? And he said, hey, here's the deal, Steve. Um, This guy was displaced by the flood, and so uh, you now have a new roommate. But don't worry, you guys are going to get along just fine. Thanks, Brad. And I went back down and opened up the door. And when I opened up the door the second time, next to the wooden skull was a little man sitting Indian style uh, there on the ground next to the wooden skull, all right? And he had no shirt on, and he had a full back tattoo, and tattoos all down his arm. And he was listening to screamo music. Now I realize for many in our audience today, you may not know what screamo music is. It's exactly what you think it is. It's just screaming to random drum beats. That's all that it is. And he's got it cranked up and we're, this is not me. This is not my bag. So I walk in, I'm like, hey, what's going on? He is kind enough to put on a shirt uh, to make his first introduction, wet black shirt. And all he says to me is like, I'm John. That's it. I'm John. Huh? That's, that's, Good, John. And what ensued next was about three minutes of the most awkward conversation that I've ever had in my entire life. It was just like, hey, man, do you want top bunk, bottom bunk? Do you want to, I mean, where do you want me? I'll sleep on the balcony because you look like you have a hidden knife somewhere in here and I just don't want to die, okay? So just tell me where you want me and I will be there, okay? Now, this could be a roommate horror story. But instead, this is how I met my best friend in college. His name's John Benskin. And John actually was the best man in my wedding. We were together all four years. John was a strong, strong believer. He would encourage me and uplift me and pour into my life and speak God's truth to me and hold me accountable. And friendship is a powerful thing. But my friendship with John literally changed the trajectory of my life. Because that's what friendship can do when it's based in the Lord and when it's based in God's grace, giving God's grace to other people and receiving God's grace from other people in friendship. We've been talking about in a series, Everyday Grace. 
We talked about how we give grace in the different relationships that we have. I thought it would be good for us this morning to go ahead and define what we mean by grace. This is how Billy Graham put it. God's grace, quite simply, is God's mercy and goodness toward us. Some have called it God's unmerited or undeserved favor. And that is what it is. God's mercy and goodness to us, even though we don't deserve it. And we have the opportunity in all different kinds of relationships to help people understand and to point them to this grace, this undeserved favor that we get from God. And so just a few weeks ago, we talked about what this looks like in marriage. And then we talked about what it looked like in parenting. Last week, we talked about what it looked like in the single life. And now today, we're talking about what it looks like in friendship. And graduates, this is a good moment for you. Because I know you've got friends, right? And some of you, you have friends you've grown up with. You think that you, these are your closest friends in the world. And maybe they are. But you're about to enter into a different season. Where the people that are closest to you and have the greatest amount of influence in your life are your friends. So now is a great moment to stop and to reflect on what it is to be a friend and what it is to receive friendship from another. But this isn't just about the class of 2016. It's about all of us. All of us have an opportunity for friendship. All of the other things that we've talked about to this point, there are circumstances that make those things happen or not happen, but we can all do the friendship thing and give grace to others and receive grace from others. And so I want you to open your Bibles with me today to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 4. 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4. Let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening here. David has just had his epic standoff with Goliath. He's slayed the giant. It's been an incredible day. And now he is to the side and he's talking with King Saul. He's telling King Saul about his family and where he comes from. And as he's talking to King Saul, there's this guy that's listening in on the conversation. His name is Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. He is the prince. He is next in line for the throne. And he is hearing David share with his father, King Saul. And that's where we pick it up here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Here's what it says. As soon as he, he being David, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, And would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And this is the beginning of one of the most amazing friendships recorded in scripture. Really one of the most amazing friendships in history. These two guys didn't have a perfect friendship because there's no such thing as a perfect friendship. But what they did have is the grace of the Lord that they poured into each other's lives. And particularly what we're going to look at today is how Jonathan was a friend to David. And how he poured God's grace and directed him to God's mercies into David's life. So we're going to break this down and see how this happens. And all of our points today are action steps. These are things for us to model, things for us to immediately apply to our lives. So let's take a look at these together. Here's the first point. Love your friend as yourself. Love your friend as yourself. I want you to look at what it says in verse one. It says, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And just in case you didn't catch it the first time, it repeats it again in verse three. Because he, he being Jonathan, loved him as his own soul. And when I read that, I thought that sounds very familiar to me. It sounds a lot like something that Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, 
Jesus gives us the second greatest commandment. The first greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he gives us a second commandment. And he says this in verse 39 of Matthew 22. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the best kind of friendships are unconditional, selflessly loving friendships. It's not about what you can get about them. It's about what you can give into them. It's not about the encouragement you receive. It's about the encouragement that you speak. It's about pouring grace into the life of another person. It is this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. But you know what the enemy of this is, don't you? It's being self, selfish. And we have a tendency to just be utterly selfish in our friendships. We tend to make it about what my friend does for me and is that person a good friend to me? We're thinking about ourselves more often than the other person. That's the tendency that I personally have. This was made very apparent to me uh, just a handful of years ago. My wife and I had been married for about two years and we went out with two of our best friends in the whole wide world, Spencer and Gianna. And we went to Chili's because Chili's is good. And we had you know, the tostada chips and we had the, the, the meal there, the entree, and then we had a dessert. And then I thought we'd had a great evening. And then we got out of the parking lot, got in the car, and we shut the door. And my wife looked at me and she's like, I have never been so embarrassed in my entire life. I was like, what happened? And she looked at me and here's what she said. She said, you happened. That's what happened, right? (laughs) Okay. Well, here's what she informed me that had happened, okay? At the end of the meal, they had the molten chocolate lava cake. Have y'all ever had that before? It's so good. It will definitely be at the marriage feast of the lamb in heaven. I promise you it's gonna be there. It's so good, right? And so when they bring it to you, it's meant to be a communal dessert, and there's four spoons that are there with you, right? Signifying to any normal human being, just eat one quarter or less of the cake. What ensued next is I just went lights out, all right? And apparently, I ate over half of the cake and ice cream there with Spencer and Jana. But that wasn't the worst part. Beth told me, you know what the worst part was? Is at the very end, there was just a little, little morsel of cake left on the plate, And Jana, sweet Jana, our friend, went in to get that piece. And then what you did, Steve, is you took your spoon, you cut it in front of her spoon, scooped up the cake and ate it for yourself and didn't apologize. You were just like, and done. That's it, right? I know that's a a silly little story, but here's the reality. is that In ways small and in ways very big, we tend to be very selfish, in our friendships. We make it all about us. But the call of scripture is not to be self-focused in our friendship. The call of scripture is to love your friend as yourself. Now, graduates, there are going to be a lot of advice that people give you, or people probably have already given you, about forming new friendships, right? And so I've heard it all before. Some people say, you know, you just got to strive to make a statement, or don't make a statement, or rush, or be popular, or don't be popular, or just find nice people, or just whatever that means, right? But can I tell you something? If you are known as a selfless and loving person, friendship will find you, and you will be a genuine friend. It's not just for them, it's for all of us. It's for that other mom who's the mom of some kid on the ball team. It's the neighbor across the street, it's the guy in the cubicle just down the way, it's the other couple in the Sunday school class. When we choose to love others as we love ourselves, we choose to love our friends as ourselves, then we go to a totally different level of friendship where it doesn't become about us, but what I can give and add value and pour grace into this friendship. 
So love your friend as yourself. Here's the second one. Commit to your friend. Commit to your friend. Look at what it says in verse three. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. That word covenant is a deep commitment word. It's more than just a simple promise. It's more than just, I kind of like that guy over there. It is saying, I am going to commit to be like a brother to that man right there. I'm going to covenant to be his friend. And it happened right here at the very beginning of their relationship. He said, I'm just going to decide right here, right now, I'm going to be that guy's friend. And we tend to look at stuff like this in the Bible and we think to ourselves, well, of course, it's the Bible. Everybody's holy in the Bible and people are able to commit and there's never problems in friendships. But this friendship had a lot of problems, a lot of very serious problems. Like Jonathan's dad, Saul, tried to kill Jonathan's best friend, David. And then David had to bring it up to Jonathan. And so if you read later on in 1 Samuel 20, there's this account where David has to go to Jonathan and say some really hard truth to him. He goes to Jonathan, he says, Jonathan, your dad has lost his mind. He has tried to kill me. And this is what's going on. And you know what Jonathan could have done in that moment? He could have said, no, you're overreacting. He could have said, no, 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 you just misunderstood. He could have said, don't talk about my family like that. He could have said, you know what? No, it's on you. You're trying to take the kingdom out from underneath my father. He could have ramped it up in a thousand different ways. This could have been the head of a giant conflict that could have torn their relationship apart. But instead, Jonathan responds by saying to David, David, what would you have me do in this situation? David, I'm, I'm committed to you. I want to know what do you think I should do in this situation? I'm with you. I'm committed to you. I'm I'm covenanted with you. Do you have friends in your life that you're committed to? Do you have people in your life that they know that you are committed to them? Because here's how this works. The deeper the level of commitment goes in your relationships and in your friendships, the more people get to see the real you. People get to know the real you when there's a deep foundation of commitment. So I think about my best friend in the whole wide world. It's my wife, Beth Browning. I love her to death. And she loves me, and we are committed. And she knows the real me better than anybody else on planet Earth knows me. She knows me because we have this deep level of commitment. But it's not just her. It's my buddy, Tim Whitney. I worked in with my first church. And for 10 years now, we've kept close to each other. We hold each other accountable. At this point in our friendship, we're talking at least once a week and hold each other accountable and encouraging each other. It's a buddy of mine, Flip, who I was actually staying at his house over this past weekend. I was in town doing a wedding in Atlanta, and I was spending the night at his house and just picking up right where you left off, and he's committed to me, and I'm committed to him. It's my my father-in-law, Mike Landry, who knows me so well, who literally says to me sometimes, I know what you're thinking, and then nails it right on the head just because he knows me, because he's been committed to me even before I started dating his daughter. He was committed to me. This level of commitment, it's where we get real in friendships. It's where real friendships happen. But that only happens when we choose to commit to your friend. And also also on this idea of commitment, 
I wanna challenge us all to something, a different kind of idea, because a lot of times when we think about friendship, we can put it in a, in a Christian context real fast. But I wanna encourage you to commit to people as friends, just normal friends, to people that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, to commit to them, and to commit to seeing them through, and to commit to having this deep level of friendship with somebody who doesn't know Christ. You know, it's actually a little problematic if all of your friends are only Christian. You got to know people who don't know Christ so that you can pour grace into their life as well. I think about my father-in-law again. My father-in-law was a um, like flaming hair, like just on fire atheist when he was in high school. He had some terrible things happen to him in his childhood. Lost his mom at a young age and just had just a hard life kind of growing up. But when he was in high school, there was this guy that was in his life and decided, I'm going to try and befriend Mike. And I'm going to just be his friend. And I'm just going to spend time with him. And as opportunity comes up, I'm going to gently share truth with Mike. And so they, for several years, were friends. Mike didn't come to know Christ in high school. But this guy was committed to him. Not only that, but this guy was a part of a group of about 200 people that decided they were going to commit to Mike coming to know Jesus and praying, God, would you bring Mike Landry to know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior? Well, he graduated went off to Georgia Tech. And when he got to Georgia Tech, he borrowed his sister's Bible because he wanted to get his sister's Bible to look at the things in Bible that he could just pull apart so that when he met Christians, he could just tear them to shreds. But when he opened up his Bible, his sister's Bible, what he read in there was all of the truth and the statements of love and the statements of encouragement that his friend had been trying to tell him about all along. And it was in reading the Bible and remembering his friend's word that he came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because of one friend's commitment to him. We've got to be committed. We've got to be committed to our friends, both Christian and non-Christian, and to let them know that we are committed to them. Here's the next thing. Live for the good of your friend. Live for the good of your friend. Live for the good of your friend. Look at back here in 1 Samuel 18, verse 4. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him, and he gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And just get the picture. This is the prince's robe. It's the prince's sword. This is the, the, the marker of saying that I'm next in line to the throne. And he takes these things off, and he puts it on David. And when he does that, it just seems like, well, maybe this is just a kind gesture of friendship. You know the old saying, he's such a nice guy, he'd give you the shirt off his back, right? But it's more than that. It's actually of a foreshadowing of what's actually occurring in the life of David and Jonathan. Because, see, David has already been anointed to take the throne after Saul. And David's fame and his influence is growing at the same time that Saul's is waning, and at some point, Saul actually comes to his son, Jonathan, and he says, Jonathan, I know you are friends with this guy, David, but you've got to understand, as long as the son of Jesse breathes, you'll never see the throne. You'll never see the throne. And so Jonathan has to have this crisis moment of friendship. Is it going to be about me? Is it going to be about my future? Is it going to be about what's next for me? Am I going to listen to my dad? Am I going to choose my friend? David. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15 through 18 records how Jonathan responds to this truth. It says this, And David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. 
David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. And then listen to what he says. And you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father knows this. And the two of them renewed their covenant before the Lord. And David remained in Horesh, and Jonathan went home. See, Jonathan, in this moment, said, you know what? I'm going to live for your good man. The crown that's all supposed to be on my head, I'm going to pass it to yours. And I will be next to you, and I will cheer you on. I'm going to live for your good. He lives for David's good over his own. And what's incredible about this is that David does not even necessarily add all that much value to Jonathan. He really doesn't. One commentator puts it this way. He says, if you look at David's contributions to the friendship, you don't find many. You read through their story of their friendship and you really don't see David pouring a lot back into Jonathan, but you see Jonathan pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, even giving away the throne and saying, I want you to have it because he chooses to live for the good of his friend. This reminds us of what Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, verse three through four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now here's the question. Who is it in your life that when they succeed, you succeed? That you're that tied to their joy? That you're that tied to rejoicing over their life? that you just want to be about them? Who is the one that when you call them on the phone, if it's a one-sided conversation about just their stuff and about what's going on with them and whatever they had, and you're just going to sit there and rather than butt back in, you're just going to sit there and listen and say, man, that is awesome. I just want to celebrate with you on that. I just want to pray for you over that. I just want to encourage you in that. Who's that one that you're saying, you know what, I'm just going to live for the good of this other person. And you know, it's amazing when we do that, it immediately comes back to us. God has a way of bringing it back to us. And it leaves an indelible imprint on the person that we're influencing and the person that we're affecting. So what did this do in David's life? What kind of impression, what kind of impact did this make on David? Well, the years went by. Saul and Jonathan died in battle. David's now been king for some time. And David one day in 2 Samuel chapter 9 says, hey, is there any more descendants of Saul and Jonathan? See, in that day and age, what would happen is a king would go and find the last royal family, and if there was any descendants, what they would do is they would just wipe them out. They would kill them. Because they didn't want anybody else laying claim to the throne. And so he asked the question, hey, is there any descendants of Saul and Jonathan still alive? But then he says that I might do good for them. Because see, Jonathan had done good to David, and now David wanted to do good to another. Well, they asked around, and they found this guy, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And he was a small boy. Jonathan had passed away in battle. And they said, well, bring in Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth comes before David. And Mephibosheth, at this point in his life, is in rough shape. He's lost his title He's lost his land. He's lost his possession. Due to a childhood accident at the age of five, he's lame in both feet. He's crippled. And he's just in bad shape. 
And he can add no value to King David. None whatsoever. And yet David says, come before me. And here's what's recorded in first Samuel, or excuse me, second Samuel chapter nine, verse six through eight. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And Mephibosheth sees this and he's like, whoa, I can't any value to you, King David. There's nothing in me that I should should be worthy of this. And so he says in verse 8, and he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you would show such regard for a dead dog such as I? See, David knew the value of being poured into without having much to give back. And now he would spend his life pouring into the life of Mephibosheth who couldn't give anything back. And we find just a couple of verses later in verse 11 of 2 Samuel Chapter 9, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, nearly adopting this guy, saying, I want you to be with me. Live for the good of your friend. This is what David did for Mephibosheth. This is what Jonathan did for David. And it is also what Jesus Christ has done for each and every one of us in this room. Here's the last point. A relationship with Jesus can be closer than your closest friend. A relationship with Jesus can be closer than your closest friend. John chapter 15, verse 13 through 15, Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus says to us that he is our friend. And over the things that we just talked about, about choosing to be a friend and Jesus, about how we need to love our friends as ourselves, how we need to be committed to our friends, how we need to live for the good of our friends. These are all things that Jesus has also done for us. See, Jesus has loved you as himself. Ephesians chapter two, verse four through five. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Jesus is committed to you. Romans chapter eight, verse 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus not only lived for you and for me, but he died for you and for me. Romans chapter five, verse eight. The love of God is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus is thoroughly interested in you, in being your friend, and so much more. Your Lord, your Savior, your counselor, ever-present help in time of trouble, your comforter. Jesus is interested in being those things for you. No matter how you came in the room today, Jesus is interested in that for you. If you're a Christian in the room today, just remember this, that Jesus is your friend. Sometimes we get 
it twisted, we forget it, and we make it following Jesus all about rules and, and repetition and about lots of other things. But can I tell you something? It's meant to be a relationship between you and your Savior. But there's others in the room this morning that maybe you don't have this relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as friend. And you can have that. There's no hoops to jump through. It's just simply coming and beginning the relationship that he is already extending to you. And it's just receiving that. So what I want us to do is I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. What I want us to do is I want us to reflect for just a moment on Jesus offering his friendship and offering relationship to us in this room. And it could be that there are people in this room today who have never trusted Jesus and have never asked him to be that friend, to be Lord, to be Savior. You can start that relationship right now. It starts with the conversation. It starts with prayer, and it starts with a heart of faith. It starts with saying to Jesus, hey, you know what? I understand that I am a sinner. And listen, everybody in this room is a sinner, myself included, every pastor of this church included. We are all sinners. We have all disobeyed God at some point in our life. And the penalty for that is death. But because Jesus loves us so much because he's so passionate about us, he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he died your death in your place on the cross. More than that, he rose from the grave and he is alive. And so he's conquered your sin's penalty. So you come to him and say, Jesus, I understand that I am a sinner and I've disobeyed you, but I also know that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that you are alive. And right now, I ask for your forgiveness. And right now, I surrender my life to you. If you would do that in this room this morning, from a genuine heart, not just because the guy up front's leading a prayer, but genuinely from your heart to express how you want to begin this relationship with Christ, then based upon the words of scripture, I believe that today you will begin a relationship with Jesus that starts now and literally lasts forever. So if you're ready for that, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Again, the words of this prayer aren't magical, but if you pray them from a genuine heart, then I believe that God will hear you today and save you. So if you're ready, pray these words silently in your heart as I pray them aloud. Pray this, God, I understand that I am a sinner and I confess that I have disobeyed you. I believe that you died on the cross, Jesus, for my sins, that you rose from the grave and that because of that, I can have forgiveness. So right now, I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. And right now, I surrender my life to you. Help me to know you and to grow in a relationship with you. Thank you so much for hearing my prayer. And thank you so much for saving me. Now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed all across this room, I'm just gonna ask everybody, heads bowed and eyes closed. But let me just say this. If you just prayed that prayer, we're not gonna march you down front. I'm not gonna make you stand up. We're not gonna do any of that. 
But if you just pray that prayer, and only if you just pray that prayer, would you just do me this favor? Would you just look right up here at me? I'm just standing right here on the stage. Just look right up here at me. Just look right up here, okay? If you're looking, keep looking, okay? 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 Hey, I'm just thrilled for you this morning. You've just begun an incredible relationship with Jesus, an incredible friendship with him. And what I want to tell you this morning is that, th- that we want to celebrate that with you and want to encourage you in that. And so in just a moment, you could do one of a couple things. One, you can take that tear off that Danny mentioned earlier. And on the back of that, you can just check the box that says, today I committed my life to Christ. And that'll just let us know, hey, you've done that today. Or also, what you can do is at the conclusion of the service, not now, but at the conclusion of the service, when everybody's starting to head out, we'll have some pastors here at the stage and at each of the three major exits and then the balcony. Go find one of those pastors and say, hey, listen, today I began that relationship with Jesus. Tell me more. We'll be happy to pray with you and to encourage you forward in that. For all of us in here today, I wanna pray a prayer of blessing. Pray that God would make us good friends, good friends to those that he has called us to befriend and that we would extend everyday grace to those that he has put in our lives. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that you've not just called us your followers, but you've called us your friends. And I ask you, God, today, that you would make us people that extend that same grace that you've showed us into the lives of other people, calling people to remember who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you so much for the gift of friendship, God. Help us to live it out well. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.